our hearts and use this message this morning to help us glorify you in our lives going forward. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Whom do you trust? When push comes to shove, when everything is on the line, whom do you trust? Now, I think if you're like me, and I think you are, most of us, right, we rely daily on ourselves. I mean, people are unpredictable. People are not very trustworthy. But yourself, wow, you can always rely on yourself. I mean, we all know, right, those good students in school, we know, we know that the worst thing that can happen in school is a group project. And we know what group project is the worst thing because then we have to trust other people with our grade. Right, and those, those guys that are just going to cast on to us and we have to do all the work for them. So we, even the group projects, we just trust ourselves, we'll do it all. Right, that bottom line is that we trust ourselves. Our ability to do, our ability to understand, ability to protect, our ability to give, our ability to provide, our ability to dot, 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 whatever it is, we trust ourselves. Right, I just want you to understand, and I think you know, this is self-oriented. This is the Jonah mindset. This is greed-oriented. This is not the gospel. This is not the truth. Late on a Wednesday, on June 17, 2015, a young man, not worthy to be named, attended a weekly Bible study for the first time in a prayer meeting as a guest of Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. After that meeting, he stood up and killed nine people, including Reverend Clementine Pickney, all because of their skin color. The survivors of that Bible study and that community of Emmanuel and really our country, their families were challenged in that moment, challenged on whom they're going to trust. What do they believe? Where's their faith? That is a hard Moment. I can't even understand that moment. Whom would they trust in the darkness in this most painful moment? Today we're going to continue exploring Jesus' antithetical mindset that's so different than ours, his kingdom mindset, his extraordinarily generous mindset. I just want you to understand, right, when I talk about generosity, I'm talking about the gospel because that is generosity. By definition, the gospel is give, give, give. God graciously gives overflowing and it's generosity. And the point of this whole series is that when we are not generous, we are not in the gospel or we do not understand the gospel or we're distorting the gospel. As we continue on this Anticipate campaign, we know before us that we have a plan, that we have a building campaign, and right, we need to fix and renovate our current building, or maybe, maybe just possibly, slight chance, that maybe we buy a different building. 
I don't know. I mean, no, that's kind of on the forefront of our mind, but I have to keep stressing to you that this campaign, this focus, is fundamentally not about the building. It's about us. Who is God building us to be individually and as a church? It's about, it's about understanding, first and foremost, who God is. And I hope you understand that I'm talking about he's generous. God is generous. And therefore, who is he creating us to be generous? And I'm not just talking finances. We're talking about everything, every part of your life. Are you generous? Or are you greedy? Are you other-oriented or are you self-oriented? This is about God who is pervasively, abundantly, absurdly in our minds, generous and creating us to be his children who are pervasively, abundantly, generous with all our currency, with every aspect of our lives. And in order, therefore, when we are generous, therefore we will flourish all right, we talked about currency, right? Currency being a medium of, of changing value, right? So money is a currency, right? right? So we change value. Are we generous with our money, with our resources, our finances? Are we generous uh, socially, emotionally with people? Or do we withhold that? Are, are we generous relationally, where time with people? Or do we withhold that are we generously spiritually or etc. Whatever it is, are you generous in that aspect of your life? Because God is generous. Now here's the thing. We can't just be generous in one area because that's actually not generous. We aren't generous unless we're generous in all areas. It's not like yeah, God is like, well, I'm generous here and not here. It's by his character of who he is. And so therefore, if there's maybe this series that you're just thinking about, man, there's areas in generosity that I'm just missing in my life that this is, maybe it's not what the message is today, but there's things I need to focus on that I, just, I know I'm not generous with. This is a journey to deepen our relationship, to, to fall deeper in love with God, with Jesus, and therefore fall deeper in love with with his people, and with his creation. Now, the, our theme verse is Micah 7, 7, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. This, wait, this eager anticipation, this, this preparation, and on the end of it, I know, I know my God will hear me. I know God is present. He is with us. And so the, I've taken right, the understanding of, of, of Psalm 64, behold and know, Wait and prepare and know who God is. And that's what we want to do in this moment, is know who God is. Know who Jesus. Look to him. And we look to him, we will learn, we'll know what generosity is. And today, we will eagerly anticipate trust. We will eagerly anticipate in ourselves trust, trusting him. So how does trust relate to generosity? How does, how does trust relate in growing generosity in us? We'll get to that. 
Whom do we trust? Whom do we trust? Luke 17, 3. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if you repent, forgive him. Now, Jesus is talking about, right, we're talking about currencies. He's talking about the currency of forgiveness. I don't want to always think about forgiveness as a currency, as something that we have and that we can do and that we can exchange value for. When someone sins against you, they harm you, right? They hurt you. And they owe you a debt. And sometimes that, that could be, it's just a minor. Or sometimes it's really deep and painful. Right, in, in ancient Eastern world, right, in the, even the Old Testament and before that, right, it was, there was this idea of justice of, of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If you harm me in this way, we get this back. This is how justice is given out. The idea is that when you harm someone, they owe you a debt. When someone harms you, they owe you a debt. What, what does Jesus tell us here in this moment in this passage? He says, the first thing, if someone harms you, if they owe you a debt, what ought you to do? The first thing is rebuke them. You go, oh, okay, I can get behind this. I can get behind rebuking people. I'm about that. Right? It's so confront them with their sin. That's what he's saying, talking about. Don't let it slide. Don't say it's okay. It's not okay. Sin is never okay. If you look through the, the New Testament, Jesus always confronts sins. He never, he never lets it slide. He wants to confront your sin. He's never going to let your sin slide. There's a debt you have to pay for that sin. And the other thing is when he says, confront their sin, rebuke them, and then what? Offer forgiveness. So this is an inward heart thing. And we could, I've talked about a little bit this before, about uh, forgiveness is kind of, this, this, there's kind of two aspects of it. There's an inward offer, and then it can be accepted, and actually there is forgiveness because there's repentance, right? But he's saying right here, say, offer. Rebuke them, and then offer forgiveness. Offer forgiveness. And then the essence, right, rebuke them, and then if they repent, forgive them, and then the forgiveness happens. But the first thing you have to be, are you willing internally to offer this forgiveness? Forgiveness is hard, isn't it? I mean, it's about overcoming wounds, arms, sometimes deep and painful wounds. It's a big deal. This is not a small issue that Jesus is talking about. I, and I don't know about you, when, we, when Jesus started talking about the currency of forgiveness today, like, that's, that's probably like the hardest thing in my life, is to forgive. I can give money. I can give time at times, and money at times. Right? I'm, I'm still greedy on all those things. But forgiveness, when someone really harms me, my first reaction is not, man, I'm just going to confront them, and then I'm going to offer forgiveness, and we're going, to, we're going to deal with this. No, my first reaction is I want them to pay for it. I want them to have justice. And when, when we talk about justice, we really talk about, we want vengeance. And, and here's the thing that I really have come to understand about myself, is that I don't forgive myself. I am brutally hard on myself. And then when I'm brutally hard on myself, I'm brutally hard on other people. My wife, my children, you. You have no idea the thoughts I have about you. You are a wicked people. 
wanting God to spite you. But that's how, I mean, you could, you could you see, my wife sees, like, any time I try to be handy, I get angry because I don't know how to do it perfectly. Like, why is there expectation that I should know how to do it perfectly? And I get angry and I get frustrated and I'm mad at myself. There's no forgiveness in it. It just spirals out of control. Forgiveness is hard, and that's just a minor thing. I'm talking about, there's some real harm and hurts. Devastating things that have happened to us and that happened to some of you. And Jesus says, forgive? Here's some practices, keys to this hard practice. The first thing, uh, we are to offer forgiveness, Jesus says. We are to offer it before we feel it. Now, that's hard for us to understand because we live in a world where we're run by our emotions. If we don't feel it, it's not going to happen. If I don't feel like doing something, it's not going to happen. But Jesus says, have a different mindset. Think it. And that will change your heart. That will change your emotions. So I am going to forgive. I am going to offer. Because my Lord commands it. This, this is kind of, it's like marriage or relationships, right? I don't feel in love. I don't feel about caring for my wife or spouse. But that's not what the vows are. You just commit to it. You commit to it before you feel it. And what you find about your feelings is they ebb and flow, don't they? And when you commit to an action, those feelings actually manifest themselves because of the commitment that you make to the action. So when you commit to your spouse or love them no matter what, your feelings ebb and flow, but they grow in feelings and emotions when you commit to it. And so you you want to forgive someone Commit to it before you feel it. Because if you wait for you to feel it, you'll never, you'll never do it. And the other thing, the key to practice forgiveness, is identify with the offender. Identify with the offender. This is, this is the difference between a generous and a greedy mindset. Because we like to stay in, like, in, in that survivor victim mode. Right, so when we, when we see stories out there, we identify with the survivors and the victim, not for the offender. Like most of like you hear that, oh, I can't believe someone would do that. Really? Have you really watched your life and you can't believe other people will do terrible things and have terrible thoughts? You are not thinking correctly. You are identifying with the wrong person. It's like when we read the story of the New Testament and you identify with Jesus. And not the Pharisees or the apostles. You are misidentifying. You're not understanding who you are in this story. Identify with the, with the offender. Because know that you're a sinner just like them. Know that you harm people just like them. And also don't characterize them. Right? When someone harms them, we think all kinds of crazy things about their motivations and you know, it spirals out of control. I, I mean, I don't know if you have this, but I have conversations with people when I want to confront them. And man, I am really good in those conversations. And they are so stupid in those conversations. And I've got all the attack points. I mean, you don't do that, right? You don't have those conversations. Identify with the offender. Find common ground because they are a sinner and they are broken just like you. And they need the gospel and forgiveness just like 
you. Right? So do it before you feel it. Commit to the action. Identify with the offender. And then the third, the third part is the really hard one. Forgiveness means actually surrendering your rights. Surrendering your rights. It's about, it's about right, when, when, when someone harms you, there's a debt to pay. There's an actual debt to pay. Sometimes there's a financial debt. Sometimes there's actual a harm that they have to overcome, right? And so when you surrender your rights, what you're saying is, I will pay the debt myself, and you don't have to pay it. I'll forgive it and waive it. It's gone. I will pay that debt. Forgiveness is absorbing the violence, absorbing the wrath, absorbing the vengeance that they deserve, the debt that they deserve. And you said, no, we'll pay for it. I got it. Forgiveness requires in us an incredible amount of generosity. An abundant, pervasive generosity. There is a great cost to forgiveness. This is why we are hesitant to do it. There is a deep cost to sin, isn't there? Relational Eternal. We talk about it with our, our children, right? The thing that's the hardest for us to overcome is when they lie. Because in that lie, there's a cost to it. And the cost is relational. The cost is now we don't trust them and they might not trust us if we lie. And so that's a brokenness. And how do you overcome that? How do you overcome lies and broken trust? It does not matter how much you tell the truth after that. It does not matter. You cannot overcome it. How do you overcome it? You have to pay the debt. You have to forgive. You have to trust once again. When we hurt, and when we, when we are harmed, that turns into anger, doesn't it? Rightful anger. Right? When you're harmed, you should be angry. Sadness. And that anger uh, turns into we want justice, or we want vengeance. We want wrath, our wrath or God's wrath, some wrath. We just want punishment. We want payback. Forgiveness is making the payment for the person, for the harm done to us. I know that doesn't make any sense, does it? Why would I pay the penalty for someone who harms me. Why would I offer that to them? This isn't a big, enormous... I, I hope you're beginning to sense this right in your life. Right? This is big. This is normal. This is not a small currency. This is incredibly hard for you and I because we are broken people that are hurt. And we hurt others. But Jesus doesn't just stop here in this verse, does he? I wish he did. Because I could justify my life a lot easier if he just stopped here. But of course, he's saying, my generosity is a little bit bigger than what I'm just saying. Offer forgiveness, pay the debt. It goes on in verse 4. And he goes on and says, if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive. I'm, what? I mean, I, right now you might want to tap out. This is because I, just, I don't want to really hammer this, what he's really trying to say here. I have a normative principle in the Old Testament the expectation was that you forgive three times for the same offense. That seems reasonable. 
right? Okay, I can, I can count those up, right? Three strikes, you're out. We can get behind that. But Jesus is saying, look, if the same person sins against the same sin and in the same day, you have to forgive them seven times. But it's actually more than that. What he's really saying here is that, and this, is, this parallels Matthew 18, right? Seven times, 70, right? It's an absurd number, right? Here, like all the time. What he's really saying here is like, what is the worst thing that someone can do to you? Let's think about that. This is what he's telling his apostles. What is the worst? And you think about it right now. What is the worst thing someone can do to you? You must forgive them. Now, that's really hard because we do really awful things. And some really awful things have happened to us. So think about someone who's done something really awful to you. And they, have to, they do it again. This is what Jesus is saying. You must forgive them. I, I don't want you to hear it as this is a commandment on, my, on a heart, right? That we have to do, we have to earn. This is not what I'm saying. But this is what Jesus is describing. His absurd, pervasive generosity in this currency. The worst thing that can happen, you must forgive. Now, now you may say, right now, this moment, giving money seems trivial, Right? Almost all the other currencies seem trivial to what Jesus is now telling us to do and to be generous in this way. The apostles' response to Jesus in verse 5, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Now that's a, oh, that's a pretty good response. This is what they're really, right? They're saying, Jesus, this is impossible. It's the same response that you and I are, are receiving right now from this word. Like, this is crazy town, Lord. This is not humanly possible. This is superhuman. Forgiveness is superhuman. This is a superpower in what Jesus is asking you to do. The worst thing we can do, someone does to you, you must forgive. And they're saying, we can never do that, Lord. How can we do that? How can anyone do that? We don't have the power Grant us that power. We don't have the power. Grant us this superhuman ability, this superpower. Make us forgiveness, men. Right? Give us a cape on something like this because I don't understand. Increase our ability to do this. Increase our faith. Increase our trust. Increase our ability to forgive. Now let's go back just a moment. Because you may notice I skipped over the first part of verse 3. The first thing Jesus says as he gives in this teaching command about generosity and forgiveness, the first thing he says in verse 3, pay attention to yourself. Pay attention to yourself. He's not saying pay attention to those that harm you. He says pay attention to yourself. He knows there's something wrong with us. It's like, you know, it's, it's like, don't look at the, uh, the, the speck in your neighbor's eye, look in the plank in your eye. Pay attention to yourself. Jesus knows what he's about to say is impossible for us. He knows what he just said is absurd. He knows that this generous currency of forgiveness is beyond our ability. 
And this is a hard teaching. And what he says before all this is, hey, watch yourself. This is really important what I'm about to say. When you and I don't forgive, we harbor anger. We, we make a safe haven for vengeance, for hate, and a nice cozy home for the evil one inside of us. That's why Jesus said, pay attention to yourself. There's something really broken with your heart, with your mind, with your thoughts, with your emotions, everything about you. What, he, what he's trying to do is like, listen, I know you are dead people and I'm trying to give you life. I know you are greedy people and I'm trying to help you understand generosity, me. Hebrews 12, 15, it says this, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Now, right, we know, right, bitterness in our heart, it does nothing good for us. It does nothing good for us. In Deuteronomy, this idea of this root of bitterness is a heart that is turning away from the Lord. It is a, is a hardened heart. And Jesus is saying, hey, pay attention to yourself because your heart is turned away from me and I need to, you to repent and I need you to turn back. And that means you need to follow the path of forgiveness. You need to receive forgiveness and you need to follow the path of forgiveness. This path of vengeance, right? He says in Romans, right? Don't seek vengeance. Leave it to me. Leave it to me. Because you and I are not created for it. You and I do not have the capacity for it. You and I, when we bring that vengeance and that root of bitterness, this is, this is the, the knowledge of good and evil. When it comes, it overloads our heart. It short circuits us. And Jesus says, pay attention to yourself. Anger, vengeance, bitterness is in opposition to God's grace and generosity and to Him. We are made for grace. We are made for generosity. We are not made for the anger that we have and for the wrath that we have and for the vengeance that we have for those that harm us. Jesus says, watch yourself. What direction are you going? Are you going closer to God and to life or are you going closer to death and to the evil one? Jesus is asking us to do the impossible, and he knows it. He knows it. Forgive what you think is unforgivable. Forgive those that do the most incredible harm to you. And look at, Jesus doesn't just say this, he models this, doesn't he? This is what Jesus does. I mean, at the end of this story, the end of this book and every gospel, it's Jesus hanging on a cross. Why? Because we put him there. Because we turned our backs against him. Because we nailed those things, nails on the hearts. We pounded it in. His, his blood is shed for us. And he forgives what, is, what we think is unforgivable by turning our backs on the creator, sustainer of the universe. He does this. This is who he is. 
And so increase our faith is increase our trust. It's a similar request of faith that uh, is asked of Jesus when the the father asked him to heal the demon-sick son. I don't know if you remember this story in Matthew 9. The the father comes and says, if you can, Lord, would you heal him? And Jesus said to him in Matthew 9, 23, if you can, all things are possible For the one who believes. Now, I just want you to understand there's there's an object left out here. It's not saying you believe so all things are possible. All things are possible for the one who believes in whom? In whom? Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Right, understand, like, I'm not capable of this. I trust with the inkling of trust, Lord. I, if you can, I think you can. Increase my trust in you. Because he understands in that moment that Jesus can do the impossible. And he cannot. I mean, when you're stuck in your unwillingness to forgive, it makes sense because you're you. But there is one who can help you with this. There is one who has the capacity to do this. There is one that can give you the capacity in what he's asking you to do. And that's Jesus. Trust in him. Whom do you trust when push comes to shove? When things hurt? When someone harms you? When everything's on the line? When God asks you to do the hardest thing in your life? Whom do you trust? When God asks you to do the impossible in your mind, whom do you trust? When God asks you to live generously, a generosity that is beyond your imagination, whom do you trust? Jesus goes on and he gives them two examples of this, two responses to this increase your faith. First, he gives a parable in Luke 17, 7. Will any of you who has a servant, and this servant is a slave, or it was really an indentured servant. So an indentured servant is someone, catch this, who uh, owed a debt, a financial debt to someone. And so they willingly commit themselves to service that one to pay off their debt. So it would be like if you went to the restaurant and you realized you didn't have any money and your, your credit cards failed. And you just ate your meal, and you're like, whoops. And so you go offer to pay the dishes. I don't know if this ever happens, but these are the stories, right? You, you, go, you go do the dishes, right? And so you pay off the debt that you owe for the food, right? This is what an indentured servant did. A little bit to the extreme, and the maximum of an indentured servant could serve was seven years, by the way. Then they would have to, every, every debt would have to be paid. So when Jesus says, well, any of you who has an indentured servant, slave, plowing or keeping sheep to him, say, when he has come in from the field, right, when he's done his work from the field, come at once and recline at the table, relax. Will he not rather say, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what he's commanded? Thank you. Thank you for going into the, and doing your job, for paying your debt. So you also, when you have done all that you have commanded, say, 
We are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. So the, the point is, Jesus, make sure you identify with the right person in this story. Identify with the offender. Don't offend, identify with kings or the king or the master. Because the story is saying, like, if, if you owe a debt, right? And then you, and then you pay, start paying, partially pay that debt. And then you expect to be thanked for paying the debt that you actually owed. Like, wh- why, why is there no gratitude for this? It would also be, it's the same thing as someone has harmed you. You've forgiven them. I mean, they've repented. They've done the job. And so there's forgiveness and reconciliation. And then they say, you know, do you have anything to say to me? I mean, don't you think you should thank me for repenting? I mean, where's the, where's the gratitude? That is what Jesus is saying. Like, what? You are, you are not understanding what has actually happened here. There is a debt to owe. You owe it, and forgiveness has paid that debt. Don't identify. See, the servant who actually expects to have gratitude for doing the very minimum of repenting and then expects gratitude for forgiveness, they're identifying themselves not as the servant but they're identifying themselves as the king or the master. And here's what it is. You and I walk around this world and we identify with Jesus more than sinners. We identify with the king as rulers who trust in ourselves instead of the one who serves the king, who owes an incredible debt to the king, who's had that debt paid off. The only gratitude that should happen is one way, and that's for us to him. Because of the debt he has paid for us. Jesus is saying, look at you have, have an incredible, pervasive generosity been given to you. He's had the worst done to him. All of his beloved children have turned their backs on him. And he's forgiven them. When we refuse to give when we use, refuse to forgive, we lose our place and we start identifying with the wrong person. We start identifying with the person who has been harmed instead of the person that harms. We identify incorrectly, remembering that we have been forgiven. Remember that you have been forgiven and we need to identify with the sinner. Right? It's that the greed graciousness. And then he gives a, 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 a metaphor. He tells this parable, and then he tells a, uh, I did it in the wrong order. He tells the metaphor. It says, Luke 17, 6. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. I want you to remember the context is the impossible forgiveness in which he's asking us to do. And the apostles asked for, increase our faith. And he's saying, listen, he's saying, increase our faith in you. And he's saying, if you had faith in me, like the smallest little seed that you could imagine, if you had faith in me to do this, well, you could take a tree and you can throw it away. You could, you could take a tree and it would be thrown in the sea. You could take mountains and they would be thrown into the sea as well. You could take rocks and they would sing out praise. You could take the sea and you could part it. 
You could take the sea and you could make it calm and the wind slow down. You could resurrect people. This is the one who does this. Who has all power and all things. If you trust in the one who could do that, forgiveness is nothing. Forgiveness is nothing for him because he can do all things. He can do the impossible. If you trust in him. This is what Jesus is saying. If I can do it, if you trust in me, you can do all things that I command you to do. You can forgive. You can forgive what you think is unforgivable. If you trust. If you trust. This is what Jesus did for us, the unimaginable, the impossible. Forgiveness for us, our debt paid. We are not people worthy to be named for the harm and sin that we have done to him. And yet he calls out our name. He forgives us. Jesus is the king that became the servant that paid our debt. A costly, costly debt. Don't seek payment for the debt that's owed to you. Jesus doesn't seek the harm that was done to him. Jesus doesn't seek to, to, to rob people of their happiness for those that have harmed him. Because that's what we do, right? When someone harms us, we, we want them to rip them of their happiness. We want them to be miserable. That's not what Jesus does. He doesn't root against us. He's for us. Only in Jesus is our debt paid. Only in Jesus is their true and generous life. Do you trust in him who has done the impossible for you? Do you trust in him that can do what you think is impossible for others? Do you trust in him that you can forgive? Do you trust in him that you can live out this kind of generosity? Can you live out generosity with all your currencies now that the hardest has been explained? Do you trust in him that you can live out this gospel? Do you trust in him that he can root out all the bitterness in your heart and turn it back to him? Do you trust in Jesus? A few days, the survivors and families of the Manual AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, stood at the arraignment of the violent, hate-filled perpetrator. And they did the impossible. They forgave. They offered forgiveness. But they didn't express it like, hey, happy. No, they expressed the deep harm and wound that happened. They expressed the strife that this is not easy for us. But we trust in the one who forgave us. They spoke and lived out the gospel that day to themselves, to the perpetrator, to everyone in that courthouse, to a country in grief. They spoke and lived out forgiveness. Hard, difficult forgiveness. Because they trusted in the one who can do the impossible. When push comes to shove, when the stress builds up, when there seems to be no time, no energy, no willingness, when things seem impossible, 
and the hurt is too great, whom do you trust? Anticipate trust. Prepare yourself right now to trust in Jesus. Ask Jesus for this faith. Confess your unbelief. He's not surprised by it. Confess your lack of trust. It's not beyond him. Confess your inability. He knows. And he will give generously. I believe, Lord. I struggle. I doubt. Grant me belief. Grant me trust. When everything in you says, mine, I can do it, I got it, or I can't do it. When selfishness, greed, anger, and bitterness have gripped you, pay attention to yourself. Ask Jesus, increase my faith. I can't do it, but now, but I know you can. Just trust Jesus with all your currencies. Anticipate trusting Jesus. Today, tomorrow, and the next day. If you want to know generosity, you need to know Jesus. If you want to give, if you want to forgive, if you want to do this generously, you need to trust Jesus. The one who has forgiven you. Let us pray. Gracious Father.